Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello and welcome back in to another episode of The Hard Foul, an exciting episode. Haven't had one of these in quite a while. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, with me as always from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor. Colin, you and I talked on Tuesday, I think not on this podcast, but maybe right after the podcast, about how desperately we hoped that South Carolina could pull off something improbable because not only would an 0-3 start portend... Uh, well, a lot of apathy, frankly, for South Carolina as they approach the last 15 games of SEC play. Uh, but just from our perspective as people trying to make content, it would have been very, very difficult to keep the podcast going and interesting yes. uh, when other people weren't caring about South Carolina basketball. But we got just that. Even as you and I sat here and said, can't really predict South Carolina to beat Kentucky. That was the real reverse jinx of our last episode. South Carolina pulls off the upset. Number 10, Kentucky, the second top 10 opponent that South Carolina has toppled this year. And they win it in dramatic fashion because everything this team does has to be dramatic. The cardiac Weird cuts. and interesting and yeah. up Again, and down. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And we're going to try to make as much sense of it as we can. But the cardiac Cox name extending over to the men's basketball team. It's a Jermaine Cousinard three-pointer at the buzzer. Stones. Stones <laughs> off the glass. I, he didn't call glass. I know that because he said after the game he thought he had shot an air ball. Yeah. But... I guess like Paul Pierce, he called game. Colin, you were let's see, you were in the media section, and that's you. So you were kind of behind. Yeah, we watched. Uh, he shot. ran towards us in that celebration. That was that corner, right? So he yeah. was like on the on the left side from your yeah vantage. far side going away. From what us. did the shot look like from where you were sitting? <laughs> it looked like an air ball. Did I it really? Mean, it, well, I thought it would hit rim. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it would go in. I thought it was going to kind of glance off that near side rim, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it goes boom, boom, and crowd goes ballistic and Jermaine Kusnard's like I mean doing donuts trying to find somewhere to go to celebrate this um weird weird game and very fitting that obviously it was Kusnard yes. hit the shot capping off a career night 26 points the first game that he got inserted into the lineup as a starting point guard and you and I thought that that was going to be the case just based on how poorly Jair Bolden had played for the last couple games it seemed like a natural fit um, move AJ Lawson a little more off the ball we kind of thought that would help we can get into AJ's continued struggles in this Kentucky game but Carolina won in spite of that and we do this a lot and I don't know if people think it's annoying or stupid but I always think about stuff like this this is just how my brain works so we're going to play it out again if you had told me <laughs> before <laughs> the game that South Carolina would get one of nine shooting from AJ Lawson zero points and 12 minutes from Mike Coatsar that TJ Moss would play 23 minutes and that Kentucky would shoot 44% while South Carolina shot sub 40%. I would have thought, frankly, that sounds about right. And Carolina would probably lose by 15, 20, which is sort of what I expected anyway. But all those things happened. 
and Carolina still won. And they shot 16 to 30 from the free throw line and missed two with 11 seconds to go to keep it a two point game. So the weirdest win we kind of talked about it before we started recording about how we understand how it happened because Jermaine goes off and you know Justin and I hits a few big shots, which we'll probably get into. And TJ Moss had his best game of the season. Yeah, and, and Keyshawn Bryant played really well. But you know how it happened, but you also don't know how it happened. This Kentucky team is loaded with Higgins is an NBA guy. Um, Quickly is an NBA guy. You have Richards, who's an NBA guy. Maxie's an NBA guy. You, you know, um, Egypt Montgomery is probably a fringe NBA guy um, right now. And South Carolina doesn't have four or five NBA guys on this team. And when Kentucky plays as well as they did, um, South Carolina out-rebounded them. They did all the hustle things that they didn't do against Florida. They did them against you know, Kentucky, and it paid off. And um, Just weird. Weird all the way around. If I want to keep playing this game, to go to those three guys you mentioned, obviously the three-headed guard monster. Kentucky runs all three of those guys out a lot. I don't know how many minutes exactly they played together uh, against Carolina last night, but Tyrese Maxey, 5 of 7, 13 points, had a rebound, had an assist. Uh, Quigley off the bench, 20 points, 6 of 9 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3-point land. And Hagens, you say, okay, that's a, that's a poor shooting night. Again, credit to Kusnard, who I think was matched up with yeah, Hagens for, for, the for the most part when they were playing man. They mixed in a little zone in there as well. How good was that zone, by the way? It, it was great. <laughs> it was great. And, I, you know, I don't – I never – played basketball so it's not as natural for me to just like notice these things so I don't know how much they played throughout the game I went back and watched the second half again this morning and it was pretty clear when they went to it down the stretch I don't know how much it was mixed in um, in other parts of the game but when they went to it down the stretch they were really able to get some stops but um, you know Hagen's just 2 of 10, 0 of 2 from 3-point land, but did make 9 of his 11 free throws, got 7 assists which is right about his average so you look at that and it's like subpar shooting night from Hagen's Maxi and quickly did about what you're going to expect. Uh, Nick Richards had a 15 and seven. That's kind of what you would expect. Yep. All those numbers looked pretty much in order for Kentucky, but I'll tell you 24 of 55 from the field, South Carolina, 29 of 73, 18 more shot attempts yeah, they were just jacking than them up Kentucky. At that point. Yeah. Unbelievable that you even get that many more opportunities. And the other stat that's, you know, related to that, Obviously, the offensive rebounding margin was huge. 20 offensive rebounds for South Carolina, just 10 for Kentucky. But the other number that I look at on the stat sheet, South Carolina in single-digit turnovers. Now, they didn't force a ton of turnovers. You know, 15 is a sort of high number for Kentucky, like a little bit above average, but not an yeah, absurd number. South Carolina has been pretty good at forcing turnovers all right. season. And they forced 19 against Tennessee, so 15 is not a huge yeah. number for Carolina. But the 9 that they were able to play mostly turnover-free basketball. Which has not been something they've been good at. Not at all. Year. I think they also uh, turned the ball over 19 times against yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And and they cut down. I mean, we talked about it. You know, if, if South Carolina can pack the paint and prevent Kentucky from really getting some good looks, um, which I think Kentucky shot, if I'm looking at it, um, they only shot 48% from two, less than 50%. So which is below their average. Uh, they shot a little bit better from three, but they only took they took 15 of them. They shot five of 15. So the biggest thing for me, I mean, South Carolina did jack up a lot of shots, but you haul in 20 offensive rebounds. And that's something that this team's been good at this year. They didn't do it well against Florida, did it pretty okay against or Tennessee. But when you have, you know, 16 second ch- chance points, that's really a difference there. You outscore them by, you know, six there. Um and you have 34 points in the paint compared to Kentucky's 26. 
you win those two battles and you know you feel good about your chances to win and they did because of it and of course it also helps that Jermaine Cousinard's you know hitting four or five from threes including these prayer Hail Mary ones that bank in that's one of the things that I think you look at and and we'll get in a little bit more to kind of extrapolating the result of this game and, and seeing what we can learn about this team. Eric Camry said on my local show on 107.5 today, you know, great. Now we know less about this team than we did going in, which is kind of the truth. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's the, that's par for the course at this point. Right. For basketball. Um, but the shooting performance for South Carolina, again, subpar overall, just a little bit below 40%, 39.7. And their three-point shooting game was better than it has been. It's been atrocious. Yeah. They're a 28% three-point shooting team uh, on the season. And just a tick under 37, it's 7 of 19. But that's one thing that you look at and you say, okay, it's not like Carolina won this game because they shot... 15 of 22 from three. Like, 7 of 19 is good for this Carolina team, but it's not outrageous. It's not something that can't be replicated. Um, and it was just, it was, you mentioned uh, four of them. Yeah, let's see, four of them from uh, Kusnard. Maniah had a couple big late. Moss hit one. I don't know if that's his first of the season. He, he hasn't had a, he hasn't had a bunch. It's, it's one of yeah. at least a handful. So getting those shots um, to go from other places was, was huge. And that was what I was going to say in terms of sort of the underlying story for this game. We talked about how Kentucky played a short rotation through their first three SEC games. They had only played eight guys. Uh, Johnny Juzang had played most of the season. He was kind of their ninth guy. He was hurt and missed the first couple games of SEC play. He did come back and play a couple of minutes. But when Carolina started to get into foul trouble and Kentucky started to get into foul trouble, Carolina was more comfortable and more willing and more able to go to its bench, especially when you get 10-3-3 three, three from Moss, like I mentioned. When you get 6-5, of five, including 4-5 of five from the charity stripe from Frank. When you get 6-3 and three from Jalen McCreary. And maybe for the first time this year in a really meaningful game, you saw Carolina get carried by the depth that had people so excited for this team at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and I think that it didn't necessarily show in the backcourt. I mean, obviously you got a big lift from TJ Moss, who didn't have a turnover, by the way. Um, which is huge for him and his game. Yeah, huge shout out to him because I'm I've been terrible to him all season, and he had a great game. Yeah, that's I, I would your love to be proven wrong. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, uh, TJ was his biggest problem was he hasn't been shooting the ball well, but his assist numbers were good. The only thing that dragged those down were his turnovers, um, and he didn't turn the ball over and had three assists. And when you can get that kind of production with Jermaine Kuznard playing like he is, and Justin and I, you know, shooting two of four from two and then two of five from three. You don't need TJ Moss to go off for 15 every night. You need him to score probably four to six and then give you three or four assists. Um, that's what you need. And I think that you, going back to the depth, you saw it more in the front court because you got some good minutes from Alonzo Frank, who had four really, really important offensive rebounds. Uh, let's talk about that pass, by the way, to Kusnar because oh, he was yeah. the inbound mm-hmm. and there was a guy right on Jermaine and he pump faked. The guy took in try to steal the pass, and Jermaine Kusnar kind of moved up the court a little bit and backed the defense off, which allowed him to get up the court a little bit quicker. So, great uh, inbounds pass by Alonzo. Uh, some really good offensive rebounds and then putbacks there. And making his free throws. Yeah, I mean, four or five, and he hadn't been the best at doing that mm-hmm. this year. Um, Got a DMP coach's decision against Tennessee, so really good to see him respond so well against Kentucky. Yeah, and that's kind of what you hope from Jair Bolden. We'll probably get into that, but... Um, yeah, and then Jalen McCree played a really productive 12 minutes. Uh, he, I mean, he finished with a 136 offensive rating. This was a really good offensive performance for South Carolina. Do you have Carolina. a box plus minus for him? Uh, do not, but he finished, uh, let's just see total plus minus here. Uh, Lord, I didn't have this ready to go. Sorry, I have to oh, jump no, the no, spot no, there. It's fine. 
He was minus five. Ooh, okay. But that that was that's not what I would have thought just based on watching no. the game. It felt like every time he was in there, he was bringing energy and and kind oh, of no, doing he what he was he very does. productive. I mean, this yeah. was I think this might have been his highest. Often no, he had a two hundred and ten offensive rating against Florida, but he only played ten minutes and took two free throws and had three defensive rebounds. It wasn't anything major, but his previous high before that was one twenty one against Gardner Webb. So. Um, I mean, they're using him a little bit more, and Frank talked a little bit about him, but you got some I mean, some really positive stuff there from Jalen. Drew a couple offensive fouls. Uh, Will Zavec played okay. Um, did some good things in terms of just rebounding, and, I mean, he still has to work on just overall game, but you see flashes there being pretty good, and then you, when your two starters are playing pretty well, and, you know, Justin and Mike, who Mike didn't play the best, but, you know, Justin and Keyshawn, there were times where Justin was your four and Jalen McCree was your five. And um, you're st- seeing some of the front court depth, which really hindered them at the beginning of the year, starting to kind of come to fruition. And that's when you, you mentioned the offensive rebounds and just the rebounding margin in general for South Carolina. You could, you could probably say like that is the single most important stat of anything that you look at and say, what was the difference in this game? You can point to the plus 10 and the offensive rebounds. And it came from a lot of different places. One of the conversations before the season was, what do you do if you're South Carolina to replace Chris Silva's productivity because you can't replace Chris Silva, his leadership, his experience, yeah, you know, just everything that he brings. But what? How can you come as close as possible to replacing those numbers? Because Kotsar is not a great rebounder. You you can't count on him to be an eight to twelve rebound a game kind of guy. And you go down the list. I'm just going to do offensive rebounds right now because the benefit for this or the potential benefit for this team was always good positional rebounding. You know, Bryant as as good a rebounder as you're going to find at the three. You know, Manaya is pretty good rebounding as a four and you know AJ Lawson I, I thought he had, he had a couple of nice rebounds he ended he finished the game with three rebounds he played 31 minutes he didn't shoot well and we're going to talk more about him specifically yeah. but I thought rebounding and defense for Lawson was was pretty solid last night but Coates are one offensive rebound Manaya three Bryant three Kusinard one Frank four Levesque one McCurry one Hannibal one um, which I guess leaves about five quote-unquote team offensive rebounds where mm-hmm. basically ball goes off Kentucky last South Carolina is able to uh, maintain possession or something like that but Getting that sort of distribution, I think that's what people expected to see from this team. And when they've struggled to rebound, like in that Florida game when they couldn't get defensive rebounds, that's when you really feel the absence of someone like a Chris Silva to just clean up the glass for you. But you see what it can look like when you just have, you know, Bryant out-rebounding his matchup and Kusnard out-rebounding his matchup and Frank and, and Manaya, and you go down the list. I don't know if that's better or worse or sustainable or if we'll ever see Carolina grab 20 offensive rebounds again in a game this season, but to be able to do it and for those guys to win their individual matchups rebounding against their counterparts like Kentucky was really impressive. Yeah, and I mean, I think every player that played recorded at least one rebound. Um, I think everyone recorded at least had multiple rebounds. Yeah, every player that played had at least two rebounds. Uh, All but two players had an offensive rebound. Every player had a defensive rebound. Uh this is an all-around, you're probably your best rebounding performance against a team with some NBA guys on it, some talent, a top-10 team. Uh, this is kind of, I think, the offense you expected from South Carolina at the beginning of the year. You aren't going to light the world on fire shooting, and you know, Frank Martin's team has really never light the world on fire shooting. You have maybe one or two guys like a Jermaine or an AJ at times. Uh, but you offensive rebound the ball, which has been a big staple of his offenses at South Carolina and at K-State. Um, you have that, and then you can run out in the open court, and you play fast, and they did that. They, I don't know how many transition points they had, 
they had 10 fast break points. Um, we're six of nine on layups, three of uh, nice, and uh, three of three on dunks. Um, so you go nine for 12 on layups and dunks. And then you incorporate some three-point plays there. You get to the line, which is another big thing Frank wants, and you offensive rebound when you miss. That usually leads to success. You see when they rebound the ball offensively, they usually have high-efficiency numbers because it's one, you know you haul the, get the rebound and you go back up with it. Either you're going to get fouled or it's going to go in. So that's kind of what Frank wants to see from this offense. And they made some other tweaks, but at the core of whatever they're doing, it's all about for him getting to the rim, getting to the line, and offensive rebound of basketball. And then the added benefit, I mean, you mentioned obviously it's easy to go up and get those the second-chance points. I mean, Keyshawn Bryant had four of the most exciting points of the entire game. Oh, that was game. awesome. The two putbacks he had were just yeah. ridiculous. Um, and, and no one will watch those highlights again because everyone's just going to replay the Kusnard shot yeah. if you're going to look at one highlight. But his putbacks were absolutely ridiculous. But the foul part of it is crucial, especially, again, when you're playing a team like Kentucky – that prefers to play a short rotation. They're playing eight guys. So you get two guys in foul trouble, all of a sudden, I mean, that's that's their entire bench that's in there. But for Carolina, you just take the foul trouble. I mean, you, when yeah. you have to send Hagan to the bench with however much time left because he's got four fouls, you're taking their best perimeter defender off the floor, the guy that Kentucky's going to rely on to shut down Kusnard, who's having a really nice game. And and he continued to, to play well and make big, big shots down the stretch even before he got to the actual you know game-winning buzzer beater shot. That makes a huge difference. That was a big part of it. And it reminded me of, it was kind of the inverse of the Auburn game at the Colonial Life Arena last year. I don't remember if they played Auburn once or twice, but I just remember the one from the Colonial Life Arena. Which, just once last year. Yeah, So, but it was, yeah. it was the big upset. Carolina jumped up to an early lead, and I feel like we're kind of just able to hang on, uh, withstand a second half, a little bit of a rally there from Auburn. I feel like it was tight. I don't remember much about the game. I just remember Auburn getting into foul trouble early, which allowed South Carolina to build a big lead, which they were able to hang on to. And it was kind of the opposite. Like, Auburn's a better team last year. Kentucky's a better team this year. But foul trouble makes a huge difference when you have a little bit of depth and the other team has a short bench. Yeah, and I think that anytime you get to the foul free throw line, it's good. Because 60% of five free throws and 60% of 35 or 40 free throws, it's still going to be more points. The more you can get there to have those opportunities, the better it's going to be. Yes, you're leaving points out there, but you still want to get there to have the opportunities to do it. Because who knows, Bryant could go out there and hit 4-4, or or Alonzo Freen could go 4-5, or or something along those lines. Uh, And you feel good about where you are. And and you got 16 points there last night. I think Jermaine Kusnard, in just SEC games, is 8th among all SEC players in fouls drawn per 40 minutes. He's drawing 6.5 fouls per 40, which is really good. Uh, And he he doesn't foul all that much. Um, So... You have guys that are capable. AJ Lawson's great about getting to the rim. Uh, Alonzo Frank can bang down low. Mike Kosar gets fouled pretty often. Um, Jerry Bolden's not great at it, but Justin Minaya is playing down low to the point where he can get to the free throw line. You have guys that can get there. Now it's just a matter of knocking those down. And if they can, if they can, for somehow figure out, you know, what their free throw issue is. And at this point, it's what you see is what you get. But th- then you can start seeing some some more offensive efficiency go up because they're scoring more points. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I necessarily expect that to change. And it's, it's when you look at it, Mania one of two, Bryant three of five, Lawson three of six, Kusnard four of seven, Frank four of five, Levesque O of three, McCreary O of one, TJ Moss one of one. You look at that and it's like, man, it's like everyone's just not that good at it. You know, like some sometimes you're a 60% free throw shooting team because – your Two guards, guys are missing all of them. Yeah, yeah. Your, your guards are really good and then your bigs can't, you know, hit the broad side of a barn. But it's like 
everyone on this team is Strictly actually mediocre. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like everyone on this team is a sixty percent free throw shooter, which you know in some ways is incredibly frustrating, and in other ways it's like, well, you don't feel like especially terrible when anyone's on the line because, as I mentioned, you know Frank, he can sit up there and go four or five, and Brian, whom I'm who I always whom I always expect to miss, he went out there and he hit I think two of his last three in the last couple minutes of the yeah. game, and, and you know kind of clutch situations. Uh, meanwhile, Lawson, who by percentage I imagine is one of the better free throw shooting yeah. guys on the team, without having the numbers right in front of me, you know clanks the two with 11 seconds to go that almost had Carolina going into overtime against Kentucky. In which case, you know I don't, I don't even want to play that scenario out in my head because. It's just not worth it at this point. No, but they go to overtime. I don't think they win that basketball no. game. No, yes. I mean, given the foul trouble they were in. I mean, you can make the same case about Kentucky. Higgins had already fouled out. I yeah, think Montgomery, Montgomery had already fouled, fouled out. out. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's kind of walking wounded to that point. But it, fortunately, we don't need to relitigate yes. that. But it, you, you don't feel better or worse about anyone, any one guy in particular being on the line, yeah. which is, I guess, bad. It was but weird. it could be worse. There were weird points last night because on one of the inbounds where Lawson ends up going to the line, they inbound the ball to Kusnard who is a 60, at this point in the season, is a 62.5%, so 63% free throw shooter. Lawson is a 76% free throw shooter. So they forced the ball out of Kusnard's hands into Lawson's to force a pass to get A.J. Lawson to the line, which I did not understand. Now it obviously worked out. He missed both. But that was, it was just confusing to me because, you know, if you're South Carolina, who do you want going to the line in this situation? You You'd want... A.J. Lawson or Jair Bolden, who obviously wasn't in the game, you, you want those two guys, and they forced Kusnard to pass it, which I'd think, even if I mean, he was still 9 of 22. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess it's just the, the philosophy. Hot is, hand, yeah. Yeah, hot hand would be the only thing. But but that's what I was confused about, because they, they trap him, and then he has to then kick to Lawson, who's obviously open, and then they foul Lawson hmm. to get 10, Three or four seconds. And Kusnar had missed three free throws in the game to that point. Yeah, he was four had just seven. missed the one. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that was that's, interesting. I mean, it ended up working out for him, and, and yeah. it still didn't it kind of matter at the end of the day. Um, for all the good things in this, and since we're talking about Lawson, let's transition into, I, I guess, a couple of the more unsavory elements of this game. Obviously, the first half was not good. He yeah. scored 25 points, and I, I guess he played fine defense against Kentucky, but they turned the ball over a lot, they fouled a lot. They had some miscues. They traveled a bunch too. Right. Yeah. Which is always it's always weird. You feel like when I don't know. I feel like when referees are calling a bunch of travels, it's like I feel like you could always call that, and you're just calling it now for some reason. You don't necessarily need to. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so Carolina maybe got a little bit lucky for the first half to end as close as it was, only down. And they by had eight. that weird like boneheaded situation with Hannibal and Moss like dribbling the clock out in, in the first half. <laughs> I mean, it, that happened again. Was it Tennessee or Florida? That might have been. Florida, Tennessee, I think. Tennessee was the one where Mania took takes the charge. Oh, right, right, right. Half, yeah. yeah, but like, what's up with these boneheaded plays at the end of the half? Yeah, like, it's like, just so out. weird. Yeah, this out. it's ridiculous. But uh, not a great game uh, game for Kotsar, not a great game for Lawson. We'll start with Kotsar just because there's less to say about it. He just got in foul trouble. Foul trouble couldn't really get into a groove there. Right. Yeah. Twelve points or twelve minutes, zero points. He still managed to be productive when he was in the game for 12 minutes. He had four rebounds. He had an assist. He had two steals. He has a block. He's still pretty good defensively. Yeah, I mean, still, yeah. still very good defensively. I would not have foreseen a scenario where he could have played just 12 minutes, only taken one shot, finished with zero points, and Carolina would have won. Um, but it goes back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the front court depth that South Carolina has now, especially that McCreary is back in the fold. So you expect Kozar to bounce back. Really unfortunate, but I think speaks a lot to this team's 
ability to, to kind of overcome that. Yeah, and progression and, of McCreary and Levesque and Manaya. Yeah. You know, Bryant. And for as much as Kotsar's not a vocal guy, he's not like really the prototypical leader of this team. He has been the leader by example. He has been consistent. He's been the fulcrum of the defense. And frankly, he's been their most consistent scoring option. So one of the things that's been most confusing about this team is how, I mean, they've been inconsistent in their play, but even more confusing is they don't even seem to have a consistent personality because you see in this game and you see in the Virginia game and, you know, even other times throughout the course of the season where they are very resilient and they seem like a, like a tough team mentally. And I think Mike Cozar deserves a lot of credit for being sort of a steadying force in that. And then there are other times when they just seem like they absolutely fall apart. So when you lose that steadying force for this team to still respond and to still be mentally tough and to be able to come back and hang around and chip away and fight back and take a lead and hang on to the lead and then piss away the lead and then take the lead back and and ultimately get a win was even more impressive when you consider Mike Kozar's foul trouble. But and I mean nothing we necessarily need to worry about going forward. Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty confident that Mike's going to rebound from this. But what is no worth intended. worrying about? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, four rebounds still though. Yeah. Three defensive, one offensive rebound. What is worth worrying about is continued poor play from AJ Lawson, and I should say continued poor play offensively. Yeah, because we've seen Frank Martin obviously pull AJ Lawson much quicker in games than he did in in this game. He still played 31 minutes despite shooting one of nine, which I guess validates what I thought I was watching. You know, if if AJ were just a total non-factor, he would have played 13 minutes. We know Frank has no qualms about doing that. But what I saw from AJ was an AJ that even though he wasn't hitting his shots, he still seemed engaged defensively. He still seemed engaged on the glass and played a pretty good game. Just can't find his stroke. Um, I, I don't know if Frank was asked about it after the game, What's your take on AJ's game overall last night? It's getting better to a degree. Uh, I think he's... I don't think he's as concerned with his offensive game right now. I think he's... He's focused a lot defensively, and he's still not there. He still lets the ball get by him a little bit too much. Um, But he's rebounding the ball at a pretty high rate uh, for a guard. Um, He's averaging 1.7 assists over his last three. So... I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those where his offensive game is so broken right now and so off kilter that it's just so hard to really get a vibe of where he is. Um, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now. He's shooting uh, 6% from two. Uh, Since SEC play started? Yeah. Or no, over over his last three games for Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, 20% from three... Uh, 66% from the line, um, averaging seven points a game. I mean, and most of those are coming from the line. I mean, only he's only hit four buckets in SEC play. When three of 15, 0 of 5, 0 of 7. I think, I think then, 0 of 7. Yeah, and then 1 of 9. So it's just one of those where I just think it's so off right now. And, and Frank joked post game that AJ has he says it feels like AJ hasn't made a bucket in six weeks and I mean it really had yeah I mean I mean the Stetson game was bad for him that was obviously the one where he didn't play uh the second half pretty much and then SEC play I don't know what's going on with him um I think a lot of it's just mental because you've seen he has the talent to do things but he's just not being aggressive and that's hurting his game because he's so good when he's not thinking when it's just and I, I hate saying not thinking but just you know don't worry about this cut at this time when it's just put yeah. me in a pick and roll. Yeah, and you go. can tell when a guy's just playing as opposed to when he's thinking about what he's supposed to be doing. And yeah. I think this is where Frank Martin deserves 
you know, blame and credit. In this case, I think a little bit of blame. And if AJ can turn it around, I, I think this is, it's obviously up to him to like figure out whatever the slump that he's yeah, in. Yeah, Frank's doing is. everything he could possibly do at this point. And, yeah, and, and I think it's good that Frank continues to play him. You know, he played 31 minutes, tried to let him shoot through it. I think that's the right move because you have to empower a guy that just doesn't look confident. And now he he's still still taking it. He took nine shots, which is good. You know, the, the last thing that you want to see, the worst case scenario it's is like if, 0 for 15 well, or, honestly, no, or no shots. Yeah, no shots. I, yeah. Feel like, I feel like going 0 for 0 in 31 minutes would have been worse than him going 0 of 15 yeah. or 1 of 9 because, you know, the, the first bucket that he did get was just a couple minutes to go in the game. Um, he catches the ball look like the Kentucky defender was maybe I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it was like just late on a rotation. AJ had a steam to attack. He goes and he attacks and he finishes and they called a goaltending anyway in case that he didn't get the basket, but you like to see him attack. He, I think two possessions later he, he, you know, comes off a screen and takes a three from right at the top of the arc. So like it's there and you can see that he's, he's trying, you need to see that more consistently, I think. Yeah. And then obviously for him, you just want to see a couple of those go down because you feel like that'll that'll be the difference in, in him like finally getting it going. But I, it's so weird and, and the way that it ebbs and flows and the way that sometimes he disappears and then sometimes you're like, oh, like, oh, he still did that. Oh, he had he's, like, still, yeah. he's still going for it. He's, he's not totally checked out. He's There's not, flashes. Right. Yeah. But just unable to do it consistently. And so the one thing that I worry about because as Carolina moves forward – you're not going to get 26 points a game out of Cousinard. No. You're not going to get 10-3-3 three, and three out of Moss. I mean, maybe 6-3 and three out of McCreary off the bench is like somewhat reliable. But you're not going to get 20 offensive rebounds. A lot of the things that help Carolina win this game are not going to continue. For they're the variants from game to game. Extreme variants. And most of those things are going to regress to the mean. So how do you make up for that? Well, you make up for that. Mike Kozar's averaging... 10 points. I think he's averaging 10 yeah, points. Yeah, 10, 10 or 11 points for the season since SEC play. It's... Well, I guess shoot. I mean, it was it was eighteen and then seventeen, so thirty five, and then obviously the offer. But you know, when he plays, so he's, he's averaging, averaging like twelve points a game. I mean, yeah, yeah. something like that. Kozar is going to have a better game. Yeah. So if Kuznar doesn't score twenty six and he scores sixteen, Kozar makes up for that other ten. Um, you know, if maybe if maybe AJ Moss next game scores four instead of ten, you know, now where's that six points coming from? And that's where AJ Lawson needs to go from five to eleven. And you're saying, you know. Frank and McCreary aren't going to combine for 12 every game. Let's say they combine for six. Well, there's six more points. Where's that coming from? You know, Manai at 11, that's about where he needs to be. Brian at 15, that's about where he needs to be. You're looking at AJ being the one needing to make up all this slack as the rest of these guys regress to the mean. And again, as much as this gives you positive momentum and it gives you confidence and you hope that these things continue, I don't think that Carolina needs to be relying on that. And then the question is, can Carolina fans expect... AJ to be the one picking up that slack and returning to form. And what we've seen based on the last four games, I don't think you can expect that. Yeah, you want your best player to be your best player. And right now he's just not. And Jermaine Kustart's probably the best player um, on the team right now. And you can make the argument for Mike, but when your point guard is, he is your point guard. And right now he's playing about as good as anybody right now. And you hope for that to continue. And if he can give you 15, if you can get 10 from Manaya, which Manaya and Bryant, not a lot of people talk about how big those two were. Those two guys combined for, what, 26 points? And Manaya had a 5-0 run by himself. 26 on 10 of 20 shooting. Yeah. I mean, Manaya had a run on him by himself where he hit that big three to give him the lead. And then had the steal. And then chased down that loose ball yeah. and pump faked and then went up. I mean, that was huge. I think that was his best 40-second stretch in 
he his was great. career. And I mean, he was he was really good defensively. He obviously he had six rebounds, three offensive, three defensive. He had a steal, he had a block, and then there were other parts throughout the game. You know, this is stuff that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but you know, Kentucky's running their offense and he's just getting his arms in the way, knocking passes around. You know, there there was a, a, there was at least one, I think maybe two where, you know, he, he's just getting in the way and he knocks the ball out of bounds. Kentucky maintains possession, but you're disrupting the flow of their offense. And, and yeah. he just seems more engaged defensively, and that leads to more productivity. And obviously the two big threes that he hit down the stretch, you put Carolina up one and then to put them up five, something like that, right as they were sort of taking the lead. Yeah, they went up one and then up four. Right. Or no, up one and then up three at that point because it was a two on that bucket. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, because they were down two, he hits the three, and then... Yeah. yeah. So, it's just that kind of stuff. And, and by the way, we did reverse jinx uh, Mania, and while while yeah. it was, it was <laughs> Kuznar that took the cake, he was the shining star, it was his one shining moment, uh, Mania, and, and as you mentioned, Bryant, you know, especially keeping Carolina in that game, and that was the most impressive thing. I, you know, I mentioned Carolina's you know, ability to hang around, their middle fortitude, they seemed more psychologically tough yeah, this was than a they com- did in Tennessee This was a completely... I mean, you look back at the Virginia win which was obviously their biggest win before this one. That was one where you hopped out to like a 16 to nine lead, 16 to five lead or whatever it was. And you didn't hold on for dear life, but you weren't trailing in that game. They, the most they trailed was Virginia hit the opening shot. They had a three to start the game. And then after that, it was all South Carolina. This one, you were down double digits in the second half and came back and won. That's com- I mean, it was completely different. You played terribly in the first half. And yeah. And Kentucky just builds that lead. And as Carolina starts to play better, Kentucky's playing better. And you're like, okay, this is about right. And it was it was interesting because I went back and watched the second half again this morning. And I was like, were there like a couple of big runs? Like, I, I remember the, the deficit dwindling. And I yeah. remember being aware of, of the one big run, the big 9-0 run there, kind of right in the middle of the half to cut it, I guess, from 54-41 to... 54 to 50. But other than that, I was like, was there something else that I missed? And the answer is no. Like Carolina, again, Kentucky did them some favors to keep it close in the first half. They did an excellent job of not letting it get out of hand. Every time it was about to get out of hand, somebody would hit a shot. Bryant would have a putback dunk or they'd have a good stop on defense. You keep it close. You whittle away. You get one run to get it within striking distance. And then it's just, who's going to make more shots in the last 10 minutes. And I, I was just so impressed Carolina is not a team that we, they've been blown out, I guess, twice this year. Yeah. But the, the the fabric and the mentality of this team, and just Frank Martin in general, because of how they play defense, because of how they rebound in general, this is not this is not a team that's built to win shootouts or get blown out. And that has just been such an asset in, in these kinds of games that they frankly have no business winning. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those where this was, I think this performance, I know Virginia was on the road in a hostile environment, but this performance was better. You're not, I mean, Jair Bolden obviously had 22 against Virginia and Kusnard had 26, but you got some production from guys you needed production from. This was a big Mania game. This was a big Keyshawn Bryant game. This was what you needed, and, and it wasn't like that Virginia game they went on runs. They went cold for times, and then other times they would just light it up and it was just nothing could miss. You didn't have that in this game. You shot 55%, 56% in the second half, scored 56 points. But it wasn't like you went 10 for 10 and hit four threes and whatever to go on this like 12-0 run or whatever it was. It was Kentucky would come down and hit a shot, and then you'd come down and get a three-point play or hit a three. Or you did the things that were necessary, and then 
it, it was like a one-point thing, and then you get a stop, and then it was, you know, you're on a 3-0 run, and they'd come down and hit a shot, and you get a three-point play. So it, was, it wasn't like Kentucky just went cold. They did turn the ball over. They did make some dumb mistakes. But South Carolina won this basketball game, and, and they did it against a team that, for all intents and purposes, I mean, is going to be a top, probably top four seed in the NCAA tournament if, if all things break right and they continue to play like they were before South Carolina. This has a chance to be a, a you know, two seed, three seed, four seed, five seed, somewhere in that range kind of team. And, and South Carolina when it came in there and wholly, I mean, 100% beat them. I don't know what the difference in terms of the net ranking is. I guess Carolina beating a Virginia team that was ranked one spot higher and doing it on the road may be more valuable. But I think at this point, it's not a stretch to say that Kentucky's better than Virginia. Virginia continues to display a lot of offensive deficiencies. Yeah, Virginia's kind of tailed off a little bit. This yeah, is, I think sure. this is your best win of the year. Yeah, I think I, I think it, it definitely is. Even though, which is weird because this is at home and that was on the road. Uh, but I just think the upside of this Kentucky team is a lot better asset. Um, but even uh, even though the Virginia win is a little bit diminished, I think that's uh, that's always going to be a, a quad one win for you. This is another quad one win. You it's have... quad two right now. Is it really? Kentucky actually slid down to 35 after this. They were 26th. Slid down to 35. No Quad way. ones. Okay, yeah, well, one this, this will end up it, being It'll end up being, one. and Virginia's yeah. right there. They're kind of teetering. That's close to a quad. I did the math this morning. They're, like, teetering at, like, 68, 60, or 71, and that'll if they slip past 75, that's quad two at that point. Clemson right now, quad one. There you go. After they just beating beat North, North Carolina, Carolina and Duke. Yeah, they're 74th right now in the So Carolina is going to have the biggest variance. And if they get it to a point where they're in the discussion for some kind of at-large bid, they're going to have the wildest variance and probably give people the most headaches because yeah. you're going to have some people saying, well, they beat Kentucky and Virginia and Clemson. And you're going to have other people saying, well, they lost to Boston and Stetson and you yeah. know Tennessee, who just got I, housed by Georgia last night. I think they're the only team that has the potential to have – they should have three quad one wins. They beat Kentucky when they were a quad one team. Right now it's quad two. They have three quad one wins and two quad four losses. I'm pretty confident. I haven't done the math, but I think that that might be the only team in the country to have three of one and at least multiple others. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's crazy. And, and so many, again, so many things about like the actual basketball of this game that made it interesting, that made it fun to watch. And then a couple things sort of almost outside of the basketball, like the beautiful poetic symmetry of South Carolina losing the Tennessee game the way that they did 10 seconds left timeout in pocket. Don't call the timeout. It's a charge. You lose the game. Should Frank Martin have called a timeout? Why didn't he call a timeout? You have even less time than that. When you inbound it in this game, four seconds left timeout in pocket. You don't call the timeout. You Jermaine Cousinard goes down. Ball in your best player's hands. Oh, and he throws it up. And seriously, a prayer. He said he thought it was going to be an air ball. And Frank Martin is vindicated. And it's funny. Like, I haven't heard anyone else mention the fact that Carolina had a timeout as Cousinard hit yep. that shot. And it, 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 it's just, it's, this team is weird. So we follow this team. That, yep. is, that is what we do. That is our job. So we are obviously more attuned to those things. But I feel like we could ask people on the beat, people that work around other teams all over the country, and they would probably agree that this might be the strangest, most interesting, and occasionally frustrating basketball teams in the country to cover because of what you just mentioned. Yeah. Three possible quad one wins, two quad four losses, buzzer beater with a timeout in hand, 
failed buzzer beater with a timeout in hand in back-to-back weeks. You just never know what you're going to get. This is they call them the cardiac cocks for a reason. Yeah, it's it would not surprise me one bit. I don't think it'll happen. We'll get into it, but would it surprise you at all if South Carolina went on the road and lost to a Texas A&M team that just got just lost to LSU in overtime? No, no, because or then come out and beat Auburn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I had somebody text me in the uh, during my local show earlier and say. I fully expect South Carolina to lose to Texas A&M, beat Auburn, lose to Vanderbilt, and then win at Arkansas. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't, sure. Yeah, okay. Everything's right. on the table at this point. It really is. Uh, obviously, we mentioned a lot of things are going to be different in this Texas A&M game. Probably not going to get 26 from Kuznard. Probably not going to get 20 offensive rebounds. So it's just, what is it going to look like this time for South Carolina? One of the other interesting storylines, we, we touched on it a little bit for Kentucky, and as we transition into looking forward to Texas A&M, I'm curious to see what the role for Jair Bolden is on this team going forward. When we talked about it on Tuesday, I think we both agreed he was going to move to the bench. Jermaine Kusnar was going to move to the starting point, bump A.J. Lawson over to the two guard. That's exactly what happened. I did not necessarily expect Jair Bolden to get a DMPCD, which is exactly what happened. I don't know if Frank was asked about it after the game. I listened to He just said he was available. That was really all he got. Do you expect to see him play against Texas A&M? Yes. Uh, do I know how much? No. Um, that's a lot of that will be dictated over the next two days of practice. Um, Frank's a big, if you don't practice well, you're not going to play. And if you don't play well in games and don't practice well and kind of stick to your own selfish kind of ways, which he's kind of, I don't want to say dogged, but vented about with, with Jair and, and publicly. Um, yeah, I don't, I, a lot, it's going to depend on how Jair responds. And you saw Alonzo Frank happen to him, uh, didn't play against, Tennessee and then obviously came out and was pretty productive so do I think he's going to be in the starting lineup no I do not I think that's Jermaine Kushnard and I think that that's AJ Lawson and Justin Minaya and Keyshawn Bryant and Mike Coates are that's going to stay the same but could I see him and Moss or him Moss and Hannibal splitting minutes yeah um just depends on the matchup and how things work out but um I think right now his best spot is coming off the bench so after the Virginia win Mm-hmm. We sat here and we said, the only thing you can do to ruin the best win of the season, probably the best regular season win under Frank Martin, is to lose to Stetson, but that's impossible because they're really bad. And then South Carolina lost to Stetson. So we sit here again on Thursday afternoon. The only thing that South Carolina can do to ruin the goodwill, the positive momentum, and frankly, we haven't mentioned this. You and I both sort of outlined the path to success for South Carolina in the SEC, the path to 11-7, and seven, which was start 2-3 and three in your first five, go 4-1 and one in those next five games in which you play Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Ole Miss uh, somebody, and then Missouri. Texas, Missouri and Texas A&M again. Yeah, so it's home for Vanderbilt at Arkansas, home for Missouri at Ole Miss, and then home for A&M. You got to go 4-1 and one in those games, yeah. and then you go 5-3, and three, in your last eight, where you get to play Vanderbilt, you get to play Mississippi Georgia State twice, twice, Georgia twice, Mississippi State twice, Tennessee again, LSU, Alabama, and then Vanderbilt. Yeah, so you lose to LSU. You hopefully split with Georgia. Don't know what you're going to get from Alabama because they just beat Auburn by 19. Like, who the heck knows? I don't knows? know who's good anymore. But that all started with South Carolina going two and three in those first five games. And I think you and I thought it was going to be A&M and one of at Tennessee or home against Florida with losses to 
Kentucky, Auburn, and then one of the others of Florida and Tennessee. Yeah. Obviously, after 0-2, you had to steal either Auburn or Kentucky. They have stolen Kentucky, so you beat Texas A&M, and you're sort of back on track. You have to win the reverse fixture with Tennessee. you got to do all these other things. Which Without... Tennessee's not that no, good. No, they're, they're, they're not that good. They're, they're I mean, not that good. I as mean, compared to what yeah, they Georgia were. Georgia just beat them by 20, and I know Georgia's good. Yeah. But, but Georgia's been up won... and down, too. Yeah, they yeah. have. They have. Carolina should have won that game up in Knoxville, and obviously the yeah. next one's going to be at the Colonial Life Arena, so you hope that's different. Never know what to expect from this team, but all that to say, Carolina's back on track, and now you have to win this Texas A&M game. Yeah. Texas A&M's a weird team. They're 2-2 two and two in the SEC. They took LSU to overtime and lost, as you mentioned. They lost their SEC opener to Arkansas, and in the meantime, they beat Ole Miss, and they beat Missouri. Oh, uh, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Yeah. I'm trying to do that blind. Yeah. Um, it helps when you have their schedule right in front of you. Right. So... Wins games that they I guess should have won games where they weren't getting, yeah two of the bottom feeders in the SEC this yeah year. as as A and M I think was expected to be so yeah. you're beating teams that you have probably a relative talent you know relatively similar talent level and then you're losing to teams that you're better than it was a close game obviously with LSU to get that into overtime but when you dig into A and M stats I think they're a pretty good defensive team I think that's how they have kept these games close yeah offensively. Carolina is not a very good offensive team, especially in the half court. This team's worse significantly. Yeah. Carolina shoots about forty three percent from the field as a team, forty two, forty three percent. A and M is a sub forty percent team shooting. shooting team. Yeah, not good. They 25% are twenty five percent from three. Next, or there are three hundred fifty three teams in Division one basketball. They are three hundred fifty first in three point shooting. <laughs> Who's worse? Ooh, let's see. I know you don't have to look that up. See, now I have to look okay. it up. Okay, all right, now you have to look it up. But it's Jackson State and Maryland Eastern Shore. Wow. Jackson State and Maryland Eastern Shore. Didn't even know those places existed. Yeah. But but that's what Carolina is facing off against. Now, it's interesting, one, again, because they're a solid defensive team. It's on the road. And what is interesting about this team is Frank Martin had a great stat. I don't know if this is true or not. I, I didn't fact check him. I just take Frank at his word where he said the average age of a college basketball player right now is 1.8 years in terms of I guess not age. <laughs> this isn't 1.8-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, amount of experience. This is an A&M team that actually has a lot of experience. Of their top five scorers, yeah. it's two seniors, two juniors, and a freshman. They start yeah. another freshman, and I think in place of one of the juniors or one of the seniors. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, Mark French is their senior guard, and then Andre Gordon is the guy that's going to play a lot of minutes for him at point. Right. So this is a veteran team. You're playing on the road. You don't see necessarily a lot of veteran teams, and if you get into a close game like Carolina just had with I mean, like they have with everybody. Yeah, this is going to be a close game season. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a close game, and it scares you a little bit that they have veterans, guys that have been there, guys that have been around for a while. Obviously, people will recognize the name Josh Nebo. People will remember Flag. People will remember some of the faces because they've been watching them for several years. The veteran edge is the only thing. I mean, that and the fact that last time Carolina had a big win, it was just a, it was obviously a just horrendous performance to follow that up. Other than that. It's the experience edge that Texas A&M has that probably has to scare you if you're a Carolina fan. Yeah, I think that going on the road, Texas A&M, it's not the most daunting place to play in the SEC, but it's a place that can get loud at times. And I kind of liken this A&M team um, a little bit. It's a little bit older than Frank Martin's first couple teams here, but it's one of the same style. Buzz Williams and Frank Martin play pretty similar styles. Um it's one of those where they're going to kind of not drag you down to their level, but kind of muck it up a little bit, make you play defense. And if the game is 50 to 57 at the under four, 
then they're just going to keep it fighting and clawing to try to get you to, to mess up. And um, they're 276th in offensive efficiency, which is whew. not great. Um, but they're 55th in defensive. So they're going to slow this game down, and they're going to make you capitalize on every opportunity you get offensively. And if you do that, you look at the teams that they've lost to. Um, they haven't really beaten anybody. The best team that they've beaten is Oregon State, and they're 60th right now in Ken Palm. Uh, but you look at the teams they've lost to. Gonzaga, who's 8th. Harvard, a top 100. Temple, a top 100. They lost to Fairfield, who's 250, 247. Um, Texas, who's 57th. Arkansas, who's obviously fringe top 25. Uh, and then LSU, who's 31st in Ken Palm. I think this will be one of those typical Frank Martin kind of games where it's low scoring, slower, the kind of things you expect from him in his first couple years at South Carolina. Um, and at the end, it's going to be kind of like this Kentucky game where who's going to step up for you? And right now, A&M's got guys that have kind of been through the wars. Um, we're on that team that was a pretty good NCAA tournament team two years ago. Uh, I think they went to the, yeah, they went to the Sweet 16. So you have guys on there. I think Flag was a freshman. Um, so you, you have guys that have kind of been through the wars, uh, and it's just a matter of if they're going to make enough plays to beat South Carolina or not. I, I can't see it, but, but tell me if this is weird. Okay. Probably is. It probably is. Yeah. I, I think it can be, I think it might be weird and true though. I think Carolina generally has a better chance. Well, I mean, this is actually stupid. So I'm going to say it like this. I'll say I feel like Carolina has a better chance against teams in which they're an underdog, even if a slight underdog. And I say that to say I like it better when Carolina comes into a game where there's a difference in style of play. I feel like Carolina does a good job of imposing its will. And I don't really know know, the, the old saying of, when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, this is kind of like when an immovable object meets an immovable object. Yeah. And that they're both, you know, defense first teams. You mentioned, you know, obviously the style oh, is going to be a rock between, fight. Oh, it's going to be a the rock coaches. Fight. I feel like Carolina can win a game like Kentucky because even though it ended up being high scoring, the first half was a rock fight and it was a lot of like mucking it up. Even though both guys, both teams were making shots and both guys had, or both teams had guys playing well, it was still a physical game. It was still you know, a lot of it being decided, I think like 50 or like 60 combined points in the paint. It was like 36, 24 yeah. in that game or something like that. So there was a lot of that. It wasn't I mean, Kentucky only took 15, three pointers, which is below their season average in terms of attempts. So it's one of those kinds of games. And I feel like that generally favors Carolina, but I, I'm not exactly sure because we haven't seen Carolina play a lot of teams like A&M. And it just, it worries you because Texas A&M is a team that's comfortable playing slower, playing lower scoring and Carolina is comfortable doing that, but only when it's like taking the opponent out of their comfort zone. Yeah. But now it becomes incumbent on South Carolina to score more in the half court because the game's going to be slower, because it's going to be low scoring, and because A&M, that's kind of playing into A&M's hands instead of the other way around. And I, I feel like that might be, if A&M has an advantage there, it's just that Carolina doesn't play a lot of teams like that. Yeah, and I think for South Carolina, A&M's actually been pretty okay. Um, middle of the road in their four conference games, just looking at those. Um, actually, fourth in effective field goal percentage and first in... Tell me what this sounds like. They're pretty good defensively, pretty okay offensively, slow, uh, force a lot of turnovers, uh, pretty good offensive rebounding team. I mean, this is like... 
I mean, this is a Frank Martin team. This is the Spider-Man um, meme. Yeah, I mean, it's them pointing at each other. Yeah, it's like Buzz Williams and Frank Martin getting together. And, I mean, these two guys go back a long ways. They have pretty similar philosophies. And uh, if you're South Carolina, A&M's been a pretty okay shooting team as of late. Um, shooting 31, almost 32% from three, almost 52% from two. And Josh Nebo is shooting 72% yeah. on the yeah. year, yeah. and he's averaging 12 and 8 and playing 30 minutes a game. So yeah. It's not just small sample size. So, yeah, this is, I mean, they're shooting pretty well, but if you're South Carolina, you've been pretty good about forcing misses. Um, you're 30th in effective field goal percentage against. You're second in the SEC in effective field goal percentage against. So you're actually dead last in it offensively. But you want to create those misses, which they've been good about doing, and get open court opportunities, which is what they did to a degree against Kentucky. Um, they tried to do against Florida. They tried to get, do against Tennessee. Uh, succeeded at times. And so that's one of those where if you can force some misses, then you feel pretty good about what your chances are offensively. you got to clean the yes. glass. Yes. We talked about Jagger Bolden. If he doesn't play in this game, I, I could foresee a scenario where he doesn't play in this game because Frank Martin plays 10 guys and sort of like the Kentucky game, three of them are Frank Levesque and McCreary, McCreary just to get bigs. Carolina played a lineup that, I don't remember if we talked about this earlier in the podcast or if this was before we started recording, but they ran a lineup there of Kusnard, Moss, Bryant, McCreary, and Levesque. Obviously, Coatsar was in foul trouble, and I guess he had taken AJ out at, the, at this point. Um, that's an interesting lineup. I don't know how many minutes we've seen McCreary and Levesque play together, but yeah. I, I feel like this could be a game where we see a lot of that. Uh, obviously, you expect Coatsar to be in there plenty, so maybe it's like Coatsar and Levesque and Coatsar and McCreary, which we've seen a good amount of. Um, but maybe even this is a game where you see lineups of Kushnard, Bryant, Manaya, either Levesque or McCreary, and Coatsar. We, we talk a lot about Carolina going small because you and I are both nerds. And yeah. It's fun when you have shooting and athleticism on the floor. But Carolina, again, this goes back to the depth and the versatility. This could be a game where it is beneficial for them to essentially have two traditional bigs and then Manaya, who, I mean, he's a tweener. He obviously plays like a big. I mean, he, yeah. he is, for all intents and purposes. His skill set is a big. Yeah, he is, for all intents and purposes, a big. But you can reliably play him at the three because he's, you know, he's good enough at moving his feet to defend threes. And then obviously Keyshawn Bryant's like a two or three or you know whatever you want to call it, and then just stick a point guard in there. I th I think we could see Carolina play some of those lineups to again try to get an advantage to make sure they're cleaning the glass, not giving up those extra opportunities, and then maybe steal a couple other uh, possessions on the other end because that was that was the difference in the Kentucky game, and possessions are going to be even more at a premium in this A and M game. Yeah, I'm looking at Josh Nebo's numbers, and holy crap! I know, right? This dude's yeah. I mean, he's second in the nation in effective field goal percentage. Mm -hmm. He's, now he hasn't taken. He doesn't. I mean, he, the only way you shoot that well, and he's only taken eighty shots. This right. Year. He hasn't taken a ton of shots. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, he's taken what? Geez, not even ten shots a game. Eight shots yeah. a game. Something. I mean, less than that. Yeah. He he doesn't shoot a lot. He shoots very effectively. Unless the offense kind of come to him. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. See, I mean, he's he's kind of their coats are where they don't necessarily run the offense through him, but he's and if obviously he coats are not that efficient. Yeah. Um. And he's just kind of going to do what he does. But uh, he's played in fourteen games. He plays thirty minutes a game. So. He's someone that Carolina obviously needs to keep an eye out for, and that's going to be a, you know, an interesting matchup. I wonder if it's if it's Coates are on him or if it's whoever the other big is out there. Yeah. Since a lot of the offense doesn't run through him, I wonder if you feel more comfortable sticking sort of like your second best back big or defender on him, right? Yeah. Um, just to see if you can get A and M to try to go through him more, to try and maybe take them out of their offense a little bit, or to see yeah. how you can maybe finagle those matchups. But if I said I don't know because I don't know if they've set this yet. 
if I said the over under f- for this game was 119 and a half, that would probably put it at like 60 to 61. Yeah, or, or yeah, 60 to 59 or 60 to 61 final score. Would you take the over or the under? 119 and a half total points. I'm terrible at betting. You've heard of my reverse jinxes. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not much better. I'm yeah, just, I'm just I take taking, the I'll take the over. You take the over? Yeah. Okay, so you think it'll be like in the low 60s? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's All not right. mu- it's all, not over by much, yeah. but it's over. I, I'm kind of feeling under. I think it could be like the Tennessee game, which, by the way, so not only was the second half of that Kentucky game, South Carolina's highest scoring half by a significant margin. They I think, scored their point total from Tennessee game. Yeah, yeah more than. Yeah. 55 points against Tennessee, 56 in the second half against yeah. Kentucky. And I think their best, I, I looked just really quickly this morning, so I may have, missed one but I think before that their best half I think they had had a couple of 45 point halves this year um, and they beat that by 11 that's that was that was a lot of points yeah. that's a lot of points for anybody especially a bad offensive yeah, team yeah like not South a good half court team yeah yeah so don't necessarily expect that um, again I do expect it to be maybe a little bit better than Tennessee but maybe 119 and a half is a little bit low I'm bad at betting I also I mean Vegas knows these things better than I do but I I wouldn't be surprised if this is 59 to 55 final. Ken Palm has it at 63 to 62 Texas A&M. Okay, so 125. Yeah, getting All right, so giving Texas out. A&M the 53% chance to win, mm. mainly just because it's, Cause home it's court. At home. Yeah. Yeah, because the reverse, they only give Texas A&M a 29% chance to win. Huh. They're in the reverse game, them coming right. to Columbia. That's that's surprising. The difference is that significant. Yeah. I guess it's just because it's long travel for South Carolina. I think so, yeah. More than like... I mean, it's not going to Rupp or anything. Yeah, we're at six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, so South Carolina is given a 47% chance by Ken Palm to win. Uh, Let me look and see if ESPN has their uh, BPI predictor, which, you know, we're always so accurate. I think we've gotten, like, every single of the last five South Carolina games wrong. Um, yeah, exactly, well, like, but... didn't they give, like, them, like, a 30? They were actually kind of right for this one well, against I Kentucky. The, the remember Kentucky... we talked about it. We were like... I couldn't this believe is, it. They're giving South Carolina more of a chance against Kentucky than they did against Tennessee. The line settled at five and a half. Yeah, and they were right. They come right. I mean, they I mean they weren't right because then they would have put they would have put Carolina minus three. But yeah. I, I thought the line should have been double digits. I really thought Kentucky was going to win by double digits. But um, just another another reason that you don't bet on sports and don't bet on the South Carolina team. I had I had nope. a couple people text me. I'm like, gonna hammer Kentucky tonight, and I was like. Don't. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Again, I'm not gonna advise anybody to bet on this men's basketball team ever. But it's weird. It's the only way I can describe it, man. It's weird. It's weird. So I don't know what to expect. Tip is one o'clock on Saturday. It's SEC Network, and also as always, you can listen to the call on 107.5 The Game. Derek Scott and Casey Manning have that as always. Shameless Great call. I like it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As we sit here in the 107.5 The Game podcast studio, yeah. gotta gotta plug the uh, gotta plug the. I don't know. They do a great job. The home team. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great call that last game. Listen to that this uh, this morning a couple times. Unbelievable. You ever met Casey? Casey? No, I never met him. Interesting guy. Is he? Very interesting human being. The judge. Yes. Oh, yeah. The judge. Very interesting human being. The fixture. All right. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, y'all can listen to them. Um, 107.5 The Game. That will be 1230 airtime. Do you have a prediction? We don't do predictions. We said final score will be low 60s. You like Kim Palms 63 to 62, just probably Carolina edging A&M in this case? Yeah. I mean, if I if I was going to do a prediction, I'd probably say South Carolina just has enough more offensive firepower yeah. to so, kind of break A&M's defense down. I mean, LSU scored how much on them? They scored like 80. Yeah, LSU scored almost 90 points on right. them. Now, Vander- granted, that is an overtime period. Yeah. Um, uh, Arkansas scored 70. 
69, really. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, almost 70 points. But then Mississippi, Ole Miss, and, and Vandy scored 47 and 50. And they're just – they're not good basketball. They're, they're not good basketball. They're middle of the road. So if Carolina wins, it will be a 67 to 60 kind of game? Yeah. It'll be one of those where – yeah. And maybe yeah. if my under of 119 and a half hits, that's probably not the best case scenario for South Carolina. No, probably not. Probably not. No. We better hope Cousinard has a good game. Maybe Jared Bolden comes back to form. AJ Lawson, show up, man. Yeah. We're waiting on you. You're the NBA prospect. I, as an impartial observer, just would like to be watching another NBA caliber prospect. Yeah. You know, Sundari Stormwell has made his way to the league and has signed a couple of contracts. Chris Silva making waves. Man. He signed a full-time contract. So I, Kid I deserves it. He's you, been my favorite. You're not a big NBA guy, right? No, much okay. more college basketball. So the most recent collective bargaining agreement for the NBA added two roster spots. An NBA roster is 15 teams. You get the two-way. You yeah. have two two-way contracts, which P.J. Dozier was on. Uh, I think Brian Bowen's on one of those. I don't think Sindarius was just ever G on the two- He was He was two-way in L.A. He, yeah, okay, you're right, you're right. He was two-way. He was two-way and, and, and did end up playing a, a good bit for the Clippers. Yeah. And that's what Chris Silva was doing. Now, the Heat organization valued him so much, he never played for their G League affiliate. You get 45 days to be with an NBA team. That was that, right on that cusp, too, wasn't it? It was right. like Wednesday was the cutoff. Right, yeah, the fifth, yeah, the 15th was the cutoff, and they, I think, did the deal. It was either Tuesday or maybe it was yesterday, right at the deadline. But you can spend 45 total days with the NBA team, and the rest of the time you have to spend with the G League. Now, the Heat were so impressed with what Silva did. And, look, it's like limited minutes, but he's averaging you know, three points, three rebounds, is a great energy guy, and Eric Spolstra – I won't read you all the quotes now, but just I mean, just Google like Eric Spolstra, Chris Silva, and the, the quotes are – Glowing. I, I, one one of my favorite things that Eric Spolstra said about Chris Silva is, you know, I'm waiting for him to be human, and it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I is, think we all kind of wait for him to be human. I, I know, right? Know. Well, I mean, I, I guess the the human part of his game was the foul record, but even that was kind of a superhuman effort to foul that many yeah. people over the course of his career. But um, all that to say, of the 45 days that you're allowed to spend with an NBA team, most players will come and they'll practice a little bit, and then they'll play games. The Heat did not let Chris Silva practice. Because they valued having him on the game roster that much. They wanted to squeeze as many games out of him as humanly possible in those 45 days. He would have to basically just learn the offense and the defense and shoot around. And he did a great job, apparently, by all indications, of retaining it. And then as the deadline approached, they weren't sure what they were going to do, whether they were going to keep him in the G League, in which case he wouldn't have been with the team for the rest of the season. And look, this is a really good Miami Heat team. I, don't, I haven't looked they at the be, standings like in a week. should be a playoff team, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. They're like a three or four seed. Yeah. They might have you know home court in the first round. And they wanted to be part of the team. Now, because of the Jimmy Butler trade, there was a, a weird like cap situation and roster situation where they only had 14, so they did have a, they could easily slide him into the slot. They're over the luxury right now. But all this is a very long-winded way of saying Chris Silva earned himself a three-year contract playing for the Miami Heat, a very good team. Two years guaranteed, too. Yeah. Not just like a player and then a club. I no. mean, it's two years guaranteed. This is fantastic. I mean, yeah. it's just so cool. I, my favorite part of that is just that they wouldn't let him practice because they wanted him to play in as many games as possible yeah, and before they had to make a decision. By far my favorite player to cover. It's, I mean, him, it's a very short list because I came in at the later end of that. Final, I didn't cover the team a lot during that Final Four run, so the last three years have mm-hmm. been there. Hassani... Frank Booker and Chris Silva have been my all-time favorites to cover. Yeah. And I think Chris so. Silva is my favorite Carolina basketball player of all time, just because of the arc of his career. Yeah. Um, and I guess while we're talking about it, I don't know if this will be like a permanent installment, but it was just cool because Chris just got the contract yesterday, uh, Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this. With PJ Dozier uh, debuted for the Denver Nuggets. I think I'm pretty sure it was a debut. And, uh, yeah, this had, year. Yeah, 13 minutes, 12 points, four rebounds. I think he had an assist or two, and uh, which is great because he, he was – 
all uh, like second team all G League last year, and is he's the G League has been really interesting. Obviously, Gatorade has poured a lot of money into it. The NBA yeah. has done a good job of trying to make it a, a true developmental league instead of just a basically like a B team for the NBA. And we see more guys coming from the G League and becoming regular contributors on NBA teams. And PJ Dozier, who came in, played a little bit for Oklahoma City his rookie year. He was on a two-way contract. Yeah. He played in a couple games that season. Celtic, same way. Yeah. He played there. The best, the best thing about his uh, being in OKC, though, is it was right after Kevin Durant left and they gave him KD's 35. Yeah, that was <laughs> which awesome. is really funny. Yeah. Um, but since he went down to the G League on a more permanent basis, he's been playing well. Whole world, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and has gotten an opportunity and, and took advantage of it in his first first stint with Denver. So this is my PSA. Uh, go get NBA League Pass because you should all be watching more NBA. I don't care how much you're watching. You should be watching more and go watch a lot of the Miami Heat and go watch a lot of the Denver Nuggets. And Brian Bowen plays sometimes for the Pacers. And uh, AJ Lawson's not going to be playing there next year, but maybe eventually. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why I started talking about this because AJ, come on, get it together. Sure. I want to I be cheering for another South NBA Carolina guy. Gamecock in the NBA. So yeah. AJ Lawson, play well against Texas A&M. For Colin, I'm Pearson. Hold Thank on, are we going to do our oh. reverse jinxes? Okay, yeah, we can. I was say, you just did yours. Don't don't fade huh? me out. I don't well, get, yeah, one, say, don't fade one, me I, out. I, I don't get to do mine. I didn't mean to be a reverse jinx. That was just, I'm, I'm just begging at I'll this say, point. We, we still need to do them. We were kind of right half to. I know. We, we okay, all right, all right. You all give one. I don't, I don't like mine. You do yours. All right. Unless you count that for AJ, which I don't. Okay, are you going to do one after me? No. Is that how we're going to? No, you're the reverse jinxer now. No, see, we got to do them together. Are we going to do count one, two, and three and do it? Okay. I like that. Let's, uh. I'll give you right. like three or four seconds. I think you get six seconds on radio of silence. So I'll give you three. Is that the rule? I think so. Wow. I need to use more of that silence. Yeah. Let it breathe. Yeah. That's a good That's a good point. Okay. I think that's right. My freshman journalism class, my freshman year of high school journalism class probably taught me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Do you have yours? Yeah. You're going to go one, two, three? I'm gonna yeah. Say it. All right. No, three, two, one. Three, two, one. Okay. You. I'll let you. Okay. Three, two, one. Trey Frank. Hannibal. Ah, oh, okay, well, good. that's a good one. Good, good. Okay. Well, I just figure it's gonna they're, they're going to be a lot of minutes for bigs for okay. Carolina this game. And Frank, I think, bounced back well from Tennessee. The 6-5 and five was encouraging. And if this is going to be low scoring, if it's going to be kind of a slog, and Carolina is looking for those post points, it's going to be Kotsar. And if there are more post points, it's probably not going to be Levesque. He's kind of cleaning up duty. Same with McCreary, although he had 6 against Kentucky. Um, I, just, I keep waiting for Frank to get back going. And he's had good games, but he hasn't had like a – he hasn't had like a 16-point game or anything, and I feel like he's got it in him. I yeah. wonder if this is it. I just think Trey is coming off probably he – he played nine minutes, but he wasn't all that productive. Four rebounds was his obviously really good. Yeah, didn't score. But didn't score 0 from 2 from the field. Took a really bad pull-up jumper like when he came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, fouled three times. Had so. that bad turnover before he went out for the final time. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those where he just didn't look right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that – if he can come out there and kind of run, give you another boost off the bench and let you move maybe Kusnar to the two and Lawson to the three, then good things could happen. There you go. Rocking and rolling. Carolina, A&M, 1 o'clock on Saturday. Colin and I will be back on Tuesday to discuss the A&M game and look ahead to South Carolina's road trip to Auburn, an Auburn team that lost. Was that last night or Tuesday? That was last night. Last night, yeah. Last night. Who are enough. they playing Saturday? Ooh, let's see. Interesting oh, yeah, cool. potential rebound game 
for Auburn. Florida. Playing Florida. Okay, that should be a good game. Yeah, Florida. That should be a really good game. Auburn playing Florida. That is South Carolina's next opponent. So after you watch Carolina and A&M, watch Auburn and Florida. Colin and I will be back on Tuesday to break down the Texas A&M game. Look ahead to Auburn. And as always, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe if you like the podcast and you want us to keep doing it. We want your feedback too. Rate, review, subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you Tuesday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.